Good morning, and welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz. It is I, Jackson Roberts. It is he, Kale Clinton. NFL Week 13, Weird Football Week. Kale, a potentially pivotal week at the quarterback position, a week with some instant classics, some total duds, some embarrassment for the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday Night Football. How did it all make you feel? What a mess, dude. I mean, <laughs> I I just, one of those weeks where you kind of look up, maybe you were half paying attention, maybe you're fully invested, maybe you're only doing red zone, and like, your whole opinions on team just, teams just change. Like, like, there's some where it's like, yeah, you can write those off, but like, I don't know, we'll get into it. But between injuries, between like the confirmation of priors with some guys, namely, uh, I, there was there was a second I really felt the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson were going to pull that bad boy out <laughs> against Tyler Huntley. Uh, you know, it's what a weird, what a weird, weird week, Jackson. I think it's <laughs> going to be pivotal for a lot of teams come week eighteen, a surprising amount of ways. Well. It was a weird week, especially, Kale, in a sense that two of the playoff teams who win games and move to eight and four, both of them, also lose their quarterback. In the case of Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, it is, quote, days to weeks, but not a season-ending injury. It is a knee injury, which is always a concern, especially when you have a running quarterback like Lamar. Meanwhile, the 49ers beat... The all-world Miami Dolphins, their defense is the most impressive unit on the field, maybe across the entire league. And we should be singing their praises and saying the Niners are Super Bowl contenders. But meanwhile, Jimmy Garoppolo, broken foot, done for the year. Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy, the third-string quarterback, stepping in to presumably take over quarterback duties for the rest of the year. Uh, What do we do about those two things impacting the way we think about the rest of this season. Jackson, if, if I knew the answer, I'd tell you, <laughs> uh, the, the Garoppolo injury. It, I saw a video kind of explaining, uh, it, it was from, uh, 33rd team, uh, which is run by a lot of former coaches, former execs, former players. And, it just gets into this kind of like, oh, yeah, San Francisco's replaced running backs before and, and made them replacement level players. Why can't they do that with quarterbacks? So, because it's, like, it's a much different position, just a very, very different position. And they're like, yeah, G- like, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't, wasn't like an all world top five he was he's top three in dvoa and top three in dyar about to set a new career high for dvoa as a starter uh it's listen dvoa is not the end all be all it's also fifth in epa per play like that is a much better indicator of overall performance instead of relative performance to the rest of the league 
it's a it's a big bad loss in drop off between Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy. I'm just curious about it because you watch Brock Purdy play today. He's obviously nothing special. It's obvious why he was a seventh round quarterback. I'm not necessarily going to try to like play the devil's advocate and say, can they win it all with Brock Purdy? I don't think they can, but he looks competent, you know, 25 of 37, a 57 QBR, which is well above league average this year, two touchdowns, one pick. And you get to thinking, can anyone just be good at the quarterback position in the Shanahan offense? Because Garoppolo's had similar EPA, similar DVOA numbers each of the past two years. And I just don't know. Like I, I'm not. I, again, I, I do not think Brock Purdy can lead this team on a deep playoff run. But I'm curious to see whether they can win a game. The defense is obviously incredible. The offensive weaponry, pretty dang sweet. I just, it's such a fascinating team now. I mean, I would have been talking about them as high, high Super Bowl contenders today if Jimmy doesn't get hurt because. The way they took it to this Miami offense, the way they just, I mean, Fred Warner, the way he just eats the middle of the field and does not allow anyone over the middle to make any catches ever. Uh, and not only that, but that allows, you know, them to play certain defensive sets that other teams just can't, uh, which means, you know, you're able to drop more guys deep on Hill and Waddle. Waddle had what one catch today for nine yards, just locked him up completely. Uh, two picks from Tua. He only had three all season before that. Like, I want to just sing the Niners defense's praises. Three sacks from Nick Bosa. I mean, it's just sick. And we kind of can't because now they're stuck. Oh, with no, we can't. We can, it, oh, we can mean, but the team as happens. a whole is now stuck with Brock Purdy for the rest of the season. No, it just happens to be that, like, it, it's also tough to totally sing their praises because, you know, the plan without both starting tackles, uh, which is an issue. Brock Purdy's throw chart, like solid, makes three catches between ten or uh, three completions between ten and fifteen yards right over the middle of the field. Rest is mostly spread out, kept under, uh, kept under ten yards for the most part. He's got a couple where he's like really trying to stretch field. He has one completion to the corner over about like sixteen yards. The other ones he's. 0 for 2 with an additional interception on the third pass. But, like, comparatively, you know, it's not overly demanding of what Garoppolo had been doing for the most of the year. Like, it, like Garoppolo's had some deeper game than he has in most seasons. Like, week six, He's got two balls, three balls over 35 yards, two balls over 40 yards. None of them are complete, but at least he's testing it. I just don't see Purdy getting that kind of action. My thing is, is I wonder, like, just how much. Because you're paying – you're paying someone technically – Christian McCaffrey technically is making – doesn't count on the cap this year. He's making below top 51 billion. So he's technically like the steal of the year, but in theory, in abstract, you're paying a running back, a wide receiver, and a tight end all top ten-ish money. I don't know where uh, Debo technically falls, but I know he's top ten. Uh, but I know McCaffrey leads running back contracts. I know George Kittle's top five. So you're paying three guys top ten money. 
at their respective positions. Is that enough to carry a replacement level quarterback or worse? And how much can you actually do with the guy when the rest of your team is awesome? Is awesome, awesome, awesome. Top five offensive line as well, just to throw that in there on top of it. True, true. And it's, I don't know. What I'm more concerned of, honestly, is just how tight – because the one quarterback injury we've been talking about is Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson goes down third drive of the game. He's already been banged up a little bit with a quad injury and a hip injury for the last two weeks. He goes down with a knee injury. He's labeled days to weeks out, which is a very nebulous sort of – It's nothing. It tells us absolutely nothing other than that he's not done for the year, which I think nobody who saw him leave the field thought he was done for the year. Which is – no, that's huge. Let's be real. If he's not leaving on a cart, that's enormous. You don't know. A quarterback with an MCL tear can still probably walk off the field and still be out six weeks. That being said, time is precious for the Baltimore Ravens. If they don't play anyone – than the Russell Wilson-led Denver Broncos. They don't win that game because they won that game 10-9. And Russell Wilson scrambling probably cost them the game in terms of actually being able to get an extra play, get into field goal range, and lose that game. They are in probably the tightest race of any single team in the league in terms of, like, the disparity of where they could end up. They're sitting with the three seed right now at eight and four in a virtual tie with the Cincinnati Bengals having the leg up via tiebreaker. Huntley right now, they don't play them until the end of the season. They're week 18, which helps. That being said, they play the Steelers. They're at the Steelers at the Browns next week. If Lamar misses any sort of real time, They're in a virtual tie with the Cincinnati Bengals. They have the tiebreaker over the Dolphins, but are in a virtual tie by record. No, they don't. Dolphins have the tiebreaker over them. Dolphins have the tiebreaker over them. I'm sorry. But they're still in a virtual tie by record. So they fall. That's what I meant. Because then they fall with one loss. They fall from third seed to sixth seed because they still have the tiebreaker of the Jets. If they fall one more below that, then they're pretty much out of the playoffs. Like, it gets precipitous in their fall off. Yeah, I mean, I could still see them winning both of those games if Lamar misses them both too. I'm not even going to – first of all, today notwithstanding and terrible spot to come in against an elite Broncos defense, Tyler Huntley's looked pretty good for the most part, and he still ends up, you know, holding his own, getting the rushing touchdown that wins them the game. Much softer matchups the next two weeks. I mean, anybody can run on the Browns if he gets to that game. And then the Steelers, they've looked better defensively the past few weeks, and they have won three out of four, but still a team with a rookie quarterback, a five and seven overall record. Like there's, it's very winnable. So there's a world where they can win both those games. Even if they don't, they then had the Cincinnati matchup with Lamar. And if they're one game back, they can win the division by winning that. So I'm not quite slamming the panic button for the Ravens, but I obviously think they need to win at least one of these two next two games. And the days to weeks thing is the bigger concern because you have no idea how long he's actually going to be out. 
I think you can survive those two weeks. I think after that, it becomes a pretty iffy proposition. Yeah, listen. Tyler Huntley was a very good replacement level quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens in Lamar's absence last year. Just this year, Lamar is so has been so singularly important to the Baltimore Ravens that I get what you're saying about how he performed against the Denver Broncos defense. But I also think that a lot of other teams are going to outperform that Denver Broncos offense. And I get it's a good defense. It's just 27 for 32 and 187 yards with an interception and two sacks is not really going to cut it against most teams. Yeah, so I mean, he should present one out of this world, but other than that, yeah, he's not pushing the ball down the field. That's what I'm, like, he's not pushing the ball down the field. The running stuff. Who is he going to push it down the field to? In, a, in fairness I mean, to him, that's my point. That's my point. Is that Lamar creates better opportunities for the receivers he has than Tyler Huntley is going to be able to? Like he, like Lamar Jackson can elevate Demarcus Robinson. Lamar Jackson can maximize the potential of thirty-five-year-old Deshaun Jackson. You see it in the massive strikes he's throwing the other week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. He can make the most of a guy like Devin Duvernay in, like, the limited volume he has. Usually Devin Duvernay is a big play guy. Now you're giving him six reps, six or six receptions, six targets. Like, he's not getting open like that, and he's only getting 34 yards on him. Like, it's fine, but it's not great. You're not maximizing what you can get out of Devin Duvernay. All I'm saying is, like, considering how limited this roster is outside of Mark Andrews, I get very concerned. I know what you're saying is that they perform well against a really good defense. I get concerned that any other offense is going to be able to keep pace. Yeah, I mean, they got away with one today, but now they're going to have a week to actually prepare for playing with Tyler Huntley, presumably. I'm just, I, I, I just think they can win one of these next two games with Tyler Huntley. I don't think that's a crazy proposition. You saw how bad the Browns looked today. They got incredibly lucky to beat a Houston Texans team that basically doesn't have football players anymore. And then Pittsburgh, I think everybody's in love with Pittsburgh now. And I've really enjoyed watching them improve as the season's gone on, but still Pittsburgh. George Pickens had one catch for two yards today, Kill. And he lost it because of yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, it's listen, like Pittsburgh, whatever. I'm just I'm just saying it's it'll be interesting. I also think that the Listen, there's one player on the Cleveland Browns that played poorly today. Uh, <laughs> there's there's one player. Everyone else was firing on all cylinders. And if you're getting a decent Cleveland Browns defense, I know they have a very poor run defense, and Damian Pierce is able to have a bit of a day against him. But, you know, it's a backup. It's it's still a backup quarterback, and I feel much like the, Raven, the Ravens have lost games they've been uh, supposed to win all year. And they were doing that with Lamar Jackson. I don't know how that's going to fare with Tyler Huntley. That's all I'm saying. Kale, there's a few teams in the AFC that are five and seven and could hypothetically run the table and get themselves into a, a race for the wild card. We're looking at Cleveland. We're looking at Pittsburgh. We're looking at the Raiders, who have now won three in a row. And if you're Cleveland, like, do you actually think Deshaun is the best guy to try and let you run the table for the rest of the season? Because I doubt it after what I saw today. I feel like you're obligated to 
I don't think you can't. It's it's the same thing that I go nuts about with uh, the Mike White, Zach Wilson situation. Like at this point, you've made the commitment. You're in too deep at this point. It's a bad like. I mean, it's a bad luck to have Lamar De- or uh, to, to have Deshaun Watson on your roster. It's a bad luck to give <laughs> yeah the most lucrative, fully committed contract in the first. I think season. we're past bad luck at this point. I if think you're down we to fully, just we fully sold our souls at this point. Yeah, if you're down, to just keep having bad looks. Uh, you know, flip flop all you want, but yeah, it is it is very tight in the here's, uh, like. Here's what I'm saying. Next week they play Cincinnati who they beat with Jacoby Brissett under center earlier this year. It's at Cincinnati. I feel like if you want a chance of winning that game, Brissett's your guy. And then from there on out, they have Baltimore potentially with Tyler Huntley, New Orleans, Washington, Pittsburgh to finish out. That's a run the table schedule if you beat Cincinnati. And you're going to let Deshaun do that after what we saw out of Deshaun today? I mean, it's, it is weird. I mean, that's the thing we always knew, right? Like, I wrote the... But I, I thought they were out of the playoffs, so I wasn't even concerned about it. But now that they've won two in a row, and now that I look at their remaining schedule, I get irked. Well, I, like, when I wrote the division-by-division over-under breakdown for Football Outsiders, that was my thing. I said the the Browns didn't... Like I, I, it was more just the distaste of Deshaun Watson that helped throw an under there, and I also didn't think Jacoby Brissett would have this Jacoby Brissett season. But I said that the only chance that the Browns hit their season over, which I think is like seven and a half, I think it was like seven and a half, eight and a half. But the only chance that they hit it is if they end up going like six and one down the back end which is now kind of feasible for them. But you also thought you were probably getting 80% of 2020 to Sean Watson. And that guy's just not there. Like that guy off a one game sample size, but he also looks rusty in preseason. He also then took 11 more weeks off. Like he's still very much not the player that he was prior to taking a leave of absence for two years. Then took two full years off. And in that time, Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated wrote a really good piece. Like, Watson was thriving in a, like, cover-heavy three-led NFL. Had not seen cover two. Has not seen all of these offensive adaptations. And already was running mostly adaptations from his offense at Clemson. Like, in a way, in those two years, the NFL has passed him by. Like he is now seeing and learning a whole new elements of defense that unless he was grinding tape while also like talking with his lawyer for two years, like he hasn't kept up with the IQ side of the NFL. Watson's a, you know, he's performed well for six years or however long he was in the league, 2017, yeah, four years, not even. Yeah. But He's still like, he's got a lot of learning to do. And he's not a guy that I don't think is ready to jump into it. I, you know, I just think about where I was on Deshaun Watson when they lose that Tennessee game to end 2020. I think it was 41 to 38. 
and he's walking off the field having just completed a season where his team went four and 12. And yet he was no doubt bona fide, a top five quarterback in the NFL. And JJ Watt like comes and apologizes to him. He's like, I'm sorry, Deshaun. We just wasted one of your years. I think about like where I was on Deshaun then and where I am on Deshaun now. And I don't know if more of a 180 is possible in the history of sports on a single player. It's it's complete night and day. Like I found myself like angry watching him just step on a football field today. Like every single play was making me progressively more angry that he was just out there. And the fact like he was terrible. 20, 22 passes, 131 yards, no touchdowns, a pick, 28 QBR. And yet it's like, oh, no, he's earned it. He's earned his $230 million contract. He'll be out there again next week. It's just wild to me. Jackson, I know we're talking a lot of AFC, and, and we're going to move on. But you mentioned five. And, seven, and you mentioned teams that are knocking on the door of the playoffs. Yeah. We've got to sound all the alarms now. It's, it's real. <laughs> it's right there, dude. <laughs> Since they're by. Throwing this out. They're four and two, or uh, sorry, they're four and three since they're by. He's talking about the Lions for people who didn't just hear that. I think it got a little muffled. I muffled it, muffled through my claps. Uh, outside of a pretty tough loss to the Capitals, they played a Dolphins team with Tua extremely tough to a four point game, beat the Packers in a defensive battle, beat the Bears in a shootout, outright dominated the Giants on both sides of the football. And that's only in uh it's only 18 points by the Giants in a garbage time drive. Uh almost beat the Bills on Thanksgiving and then trounced the Jaguars. Uh the currently this isn't updated yet for uh to account for this game, but it will get better. Uh Jared Goff is a top five quarterback by both DVOA and DYAR. Uh, this is the first time since 2017 that the Detroit Lions have put together three straight games of negative DVOA since 2017. Uh, or sorry, yeah, no, that all those I might have repeated some things, but all those words were the words that needed to get conveyed. Uh, this is a team that also gets Jamison Williams back. Their schedule down the road. Vikings at Jets at Panthers versus Bears at Packers. We'll get into the Vikings later in the show. But that's a winnable game. Like, that's straight up a winnable game. You couldn't. The thing about the Lions is they've proven they can lose to anyone, too. So you've got to actually be on your game every single week from here on out. Not saying it's not possible. It's very possible. But you can lose to any of those. I mean, you're going to be underdogs against the Vikings and Jets right off the bat. Oh, I trust me. I get it. But this this is a they're getting more out of guys like I, you know, Kirby Joseph, Ali McNeil, get into a lot of the defensive personnel that's kind of really maximized on their end to shut down in the run game, to be more competitive in the passing game. But like the days of just losing 29 nothing to the Patriots feel a little bit behind them. Yeah, I mean, I think healthy Amon Ross St. Brown makes all the difference. It's why I'm concerned coming out of this week because Amon Ross St. Brown did seem a little bit banged up. And uh, just Jared Goff's a completely different quarterback. He's getting brutalized. But I did, you know, 
I did like seeing getting uh more involvement to DJ Chark finally. Uh like they're like mix it up a bit. And Unreal it, locker room stuff with Dan Campbell and DJ Chark after the game. Oh my god. It's I love this team. I love this team, Jackson. They <laughs> are I was talking about it in the FO Discord. They are really like it's so nice that they have the Rams tanking for them. Uh if uh, if Denver pulled it out, Detroit would have had the three seed on behalf of the Los Angeles Rams uh, for the uh, NFL, not three seed, number three overall pick. But if they end up with a really good quarterback and they keep up this Campbell level of aggressiveness, going forward deep in their own zone, pushing for two, like, then they are not only one of the most, like, not only a really threatening team, but like, actually genuinely good yeah i'm very curious actually about next year because you're not going to be in a position to draft this high and potentially take a quarterback again but i also think this team can make the playoffs next year with jared goff i'm not sure if they can i mean maybe whoever they draft comes in and is transcendent enough to lead a playoff run in year one i think jared goff drives the bus just well enough especially with this talent in the wide receiver room, this tandem at the running back position that slams in touchdowns repeatedly. Uh, I think they can be a playoff team. I thought they could have been a playoff team this year. And honestly, they not only could they still be, but there's a few really dumb losses on that schedule. So I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, we'll move on. We've got a Chiefs Bengals game to talk about. Somehow we haven't touched that one yet. Game of the day. Does it say more, Kale? about the Cincinnati Bengals or the Kansas City Chiefs that the Bengals defeat the Chiefs the third straight time by a final score of 27-24. Is it a cop-out to say that it says more about the Cincinnati Bengals with regards to the Kansas City Chiefs? I don't really know what you mean by that. So I mean go on. that this team is very uniquely positioned to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. They've kind of got a bonehead of a head coach uh, <laughs> who actively gets in the way. So it's not like they are the uh, schematic offensive juggernaut to compete with Andy Reid. But in terms of offensive talent, I don't think that there's a team in the NFL better equipped to keep pace with the offense of the Kansas City Chiefs than that of Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. I mean, about as dynamic of a collection of young talent as you can have. The fact that they also have a replacement-level player in – like, they don't have Joe Mixon, who's been a really dynamic running back this year. The fact that they can seamlessly switch him in for Samaj Piran, have him average five yards a carry – and then also contribute 49 yards. Yeah, you're being awfully you're being awfully disrespectful of Samaje right now. Samaje leads the team in total yards by a wide margin today. I gave him the most valuable contract for the Cincinnati Bengals. I am not being Well, they don't know that, Kale. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, now you know. Now but you know. He, he like it's so uniquely positioned to keep up with Kansas City cuz I feel like the two ways you beat Kansas City are shootout with an okay defense behind you to like maybe get some kind of 
you know, game turning singular play that could kind of go either way and you get the right end of a 50 50 to break your way, or you go the other side and you have like a dominant defense and you can just get enough on offense to really kind of push you over the top. Cincinnati's got both. They've got the offensive pace to win a shootout, and they've got a great, great defense that'll kind of break your way. There's some stuff like, listen, execution missteps are going to happen in a game-to-game situation. Like like Travis Kelsey fumbling, like that's going to break you. But, like, you got to recognize that those kind of plays happen. Like fumbling in the fourth quarter is going to – it's just going to happen. Missing a field goal late in the fourth quarter of 55 yards, like that – like some stuff's not going to break your way. The fact that Patrick Mahomes finished interception-free against a really, really good secondary, the fact that this Cincinnati Bengals defense was also just able to shut down schematically Travis Kelsey – uh, this is his first – I know it's at least his first, first half – or sorry, it's his first half of the year without a catch. Like, the fact that they were able to do that's impressive on their own. But just in general, like, I'm not worried about – like, it, it, again, I'm not worried about the Chiefs. Like, this is a team that's so uniquely positioned to beat Kansas City in the same way that Buffalo is just designed to, like – Exact same way. High-powered offense, loaded defense. And unless you're just in these unique positions where that's like you're specifically constructed to beat the biggest juggernaut in your conference, then I don't have a problem. Like, like Kansas City's going to take care of everyone else and have shootouts with Buffalo and Cincinnati, and that's it. Yeah, this is a 50-50 game. This is, uh, this is a game that if you play – the exact same way 10 times. I think each team wins five. I The Chiefs had one punt today. They had one punt, and they only end up with 24 points. Uh, they got unlucky. And, you know, you can't really call it unlucky when you fumble and miss a field goal, but Mahomes, in a sense, gets unlucky because he really – I mean, I thought he was way better than just kind of the, the stat sheet showed. I think the 90.5 QBR is very indicative of how he played. Some of the throws he makes on third down, some of the deep balls he throws to Marquez Valdez-Scantling are just ridiculous. Um, and the, the Bengals did the right thing the entire game by just keeping the clock moving. The time of possession stats aren't crazy. Cincinnati has 32.5 to 27.5 for the Chiefs, but they keep the clock moving shortens the game, fewer drives for each team. And Cincinnati's always right there, either up a field goal, down a field goal. Uh, and P. Ryan, I think, was the biggest reason for that. I mean, they were constantly staying out ahead of the chains. I guess I should give Burrow a lot of credit, too, because Burrow, Burrow on the rushing game, particularly as well today, I mean, he ends up keeping it 11 times. He runs in a touchdown. He runs for a huge first down in the fourth quarter. Uh, and I think... To, to your point about the formula to beat the Chiefs, I mean, if you're going to beat them in a game like this, it takes a quarterback who can stand up to Mahomes, match him shot for shot, have the confidence, even if he's not better than Mahomes, have the confidence to walk into a game against Patrick Mahomes and think he's the better quarterback. And I see Joe Burrow as one of the maybe two or three guys across the league that can do it right now. Oh, absolutely. And just to your point about like that this is a 50-50 game, the Chiefs even had things break their way in this game. Like, 
dropped interceptions by the Bengals, having Tyler Boyd drop a, a naked touchdown. Oh, that was bad, yeah. Into the end zone that ends up having Cincinnati settle for a field goal. Uh, like, there are absolutely things in this, and even like penalty stuff that breaks the uh, – breaks Kansas City's way with like a couple like key penalties that Cincinnati coughs up. And it's just like an execution thing sometimes. You know, it's tough, but you know, Cincinnati earned this one. They're uniquely constructed to beat them. And I don't think Kansas City has a problem with them if they run into them in the playoffs. I think there's something to be said as well for Cincinnati not just playing this game at home, but needing it more just needing to keep pace not only in the division, but knowing that they have such a tough schedule down the back stretch with, you know, the Patriots, the Bucks, the Bills still on the schedule. Like there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And then you finish up with the Ravens. So they just needed this one more. And I think that's a big reason why they went out and got it. Now jumping off of that, Kale, how does today impact the overall race for NFL most valuable player? You look across the league. Mahomes, he was my favorite coming into the week. I still kind of like him now, but obviously he loses a game to Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has to be thrown in the mix. Elsewhere, Jalen Hurts playing out of his mind two weeks in a row. Four total touchdowns today for the Eagles. Last week, rushing for 150. Definitely has elevated his game. Definitely needs to be taken seriously in the MVP race. I think we can pour some water on the Tua Tungabailoa MVP campaign after today, but not completely ruling it out. But how in general do you see things shaking out after today? It's really interesting. I still think I, I still think it's Mahomes is to lose, honestly. And it's not like today he like outright lost it because he still like you know he still was Mahomes. Still had a QBR of 90.5 today. Like the passing DVOA numbers are still going to be really good for him in the single game. Uh, I don't want to pull up Ben Baldwin's EPA stuff right now, but like, I'm sure he played, if he's a 90.5 QBR, I'm sure he was definitely a positive EPA. Uh, the Jalen Hurts one's interesting to me because I am curious as to, it's the Jalen Hurts and Tua both, are such unique cases to me in the sense that, like, how many MVPs have we had that also have, like, very strong Opoi candidates alongside them, namely A.J. Brown for Jalen Hurts and Tyreek Hill for Tua Tonga-Vailoa? Like, I think it's different. I, I, I think for Hertz, I don't think anybody's seriously considering Brown for Opoy as great as he was today and as great as he's been other weeks. I To me, today was the epitome of why it's Tyreek for Opoy and not Tua for MVP, because even in a game where Tua doesn't play well, Tyreek still does almost everything possible to drag them to a win. Whereas, I mean, Hertz today, he was airing it out to Devontae Smith. Last week, A.J. Brown barely does anything apart from one touchdown catch, and Jalen Hurts runs for 150. The fact that you can run for 150 and throw for 380 in back-to-back weeks, you deserve to be in the MVP conversation after that. He really does it all, which is so unique to me. And it's also like, did Josh Allen just drop off the face of the earth? Like, he is very – When you leave the league in turnovers, it's kind of tough to make an MVP case, Kale. 
I get it. I also think it's a product of their system where they're passing at such high volumes <laughs> that those turnovers are going to happen. But like he didn't turn it over against New England. Oh no, he did the fumble. Never mind. He did turn it over against. Yes, him. he did. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's pr- it's probably hurt to be Mahomes at this point, but because it's so tight and because no one's really jumped out to also. I want to hear your opinion on this. Where is Dak in this conversation? Especially considering he kind of is a unique case because of the truncated schedule. Yeah, I mean, he missed five weeks. How are you going to make him MVP? <laughs> because the Cowboys look night and day since he's come back. The Cowboys look insane with him. I mean, yeah, they look great. He's just not going to have – like, you're never going to have an MVP throw for, you know, less than 4,000 yards in a season. Like, that's just what it is. I don't I don't begrudge Dak at all. I'm stoked to have him back. It's awesome to see the Cowboys playing this well. He's just not in the MVP conversation because he's not going to have the counting stats at the end of the year. He's got, what, 11, 12 touchdowns right now? Like, that's just not going to cut it. He's thir- So he's got 13 touchdowns in seven games. He's got 50 – like, the yards are where you're going to lose him is he's 1,500 yards. Okay, well, Tom Brady played a season where he had 28 touchdowns, two picks, and, like, a 120 passer rating and didn't win MVP because he missed those first four games because of allegedly deflated footballs. However, he's not on America's team, Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't take Dak's MVP candidacy seriously, but I do take the Cowboys extremely seriously. Yeah. And I think uh, I would just love to take another victory lap in the face of anyone who took the Cooper Rush thing seriously. Never bought into that for a moment. I don't think you did either. And I think we've both been handsomely rewarded oh. by seeing this team <laughs> extremely elevated. Skip Bayless bought in on it, Kale. It was a real thing. I I was going to say, if if either of us bought in on it, we shouldn't. We, sh- we should end the show. Like, I mean, we take our nose ball patches away, <laughs> sure. It's okay. It's it's probably a three man race at this point. I'm just so like I'm so impressed by the Cowboys and how just dynamic this offense has been since Dak has gotten back. Hanging, I can I know some of it's defensive scoring. I know special teams is putting them in good positions to actually get up feet like get good field position and help them score more. But coming back. And when did he come back? The Lions game? And posting 24, 49, 28, 40, 28, 54. Like, there are some crazy games in there that just have totally, totally elevated this Cowboys offense. I I agree, but also are you going to give the guy MVP because the team scores on defense? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying gets taken away there. Yeah, I mean he's he's not going to win MVP. I mean it's just not a discussion. No, no, but not. they're they're terrified. Like they're that's the more important thing here. Same thing with Josh Allen. Josh Allen's not going to win MVP. You can't possibly tell me you're not terrified of the Bills in the playoffs at this point after seeing them the past few weeks. My thing is is like with Josh with Josh Allen, I do think it's different than the Cowboys. I I, or I think it's different than Dak because like you bring in the games lost. I'm just more saying like. Pound for pound, like, I'm shocked at the leap that the Cowboys have taken between a Cooper Rush team that, yeah, was winning games, it was winning them off the backs of defense and doing just okay on offense, but, <laughs> like, has just 
taken a massive, massive threatening leap, not only having one of the best defenses in the NFL, but now having what looks like uh, a, a buzzsaw of an offense. Yeah, I think we have to give a ton of credit, uh, really all around on the Cowboys. Uh, first, Mike McCarthy for like, say what you want about Mike McCarthy's past. He's got this team right now just a machine on both sides of the ball. Like, there's just nothing, nothing else you can say. And Kellen Moore on the offensive side has just been balancing things so well, run, pass. They sent CD Lamb in motion like 43% of plays tonight, according to NGS, yeah. like most he's ever done in a single game. Colts had absolutely no idea where he was. He's like adjusting his chain before the play because he's that confident nobody can stay with him. Two running backs, both having an impact. Dalton Schultz is really good. Like this, this is a very, very threatening team because they have marquee talent and are well organized on both sides of the ball. I fully agree. But finishing my thing on why the Bills are different than the Cowboys is that like in the same way that it's Mahomes and a bunch of receivers, he still is Travis Kelsey. It's Lamar and a bunch of guys. Lamar's hurt now. He's not going to get it. And even still, they were like a three seed. Uh, so they're not like really stirring the pot. Bills, if they pull off the one seed, will have to go through the, you know, they'll have to go through the Dolphins again, hosting them this time, which will be a little different. Still going to play a scrappy Jets team and have to play the Bengals at Cincinnati. And unlike the teams that we've mentioned with Hurts having A.J. Brown, to having Tyreek, it is just the Josh Allen. Wait, what? Tyreke- did Stephon Diggs die? Hey, he's oh, what only, happened to Stephon only, Diggs, Kale? He's the only one. Okay, I'm fully wrong there. Uh, <laughs> it's still just the Josh. Like, it's still so much Josh Allen. Like, I still see it like that he's so – it's so singularly just him that if they pull off this one seed, like, I get that he's got – a bunch of he's got a bunch of stupid interceptions from a four week stretch where all of a sudden he turned like he lost his monster powers. But I still think he's absolutely in this conversation. I still think he's like, I don't think it's a full write off of like, ah, he's just not the guy anymore. Like, it's 11 interceptions and a couple fumbles. I feel like if he's if he gets those touchdown numbers up and he shrinks that TD interception ratio, then they're going to have to consider it. Because he's still very much in the running for like a five thousand yard, eight hundred rushing yard season. Wow! Well, I you can get Josh Allen eleven to one to win MVP right now. So sounds like you're going to be taking that money where the mouth is. I listen. I think so. I I, I think Mahomes is still obviously the favorite. But if we were just doing the value thing, I think. Josh Allen should absolutely still be in the conversation. I don't disagree. I don't. I. I, I think from a statistical perspective, it's going to be tough for him to get there. But I'm not. I'm not out. I just think like Mahomes has been so, so singularly good at all times this year, and there have just been games like every year where he's just won it by himself with the help of Kelsey. But I mean, what what quarterback doesn't have their favorite target that they use over and over again at this point? Um, I, I still think it's his. I think I'm I'm on the same page with you. Um, the odds are interesting, though. I'll tell you, 
minus 134 for Mahomes right now, plus 190 for Hertz, plus 800 for Burrow, 11 to 1 for Allen, and then a big drop for Tua down to 14 to 1. I do not see Dak Prescott because I do not have the full odds open, but you can be assured that you could get really good odds if you believe in the Dak Prescott MVP campaign. Yeah. I don't know. Two had a really good run. He's still playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the league, so it's tough. But I, I there's so many different storylines going on in Miami between, you know, Mike McDaniel probably being one of, if not the front runner for coach of the year, Tyreek Hill having Opoy recognition, like and him and just two are losing this game to San Francisco probably falls out of the running just off of like there's a lot of there's a lot of storytelling going on in Miami. I think Tua's comeback while admirable falls by the wayside. The Burrow, yeah, just to touch on Coach of the Year real quick, I can't believe how fast people have jumped off Nick Sirianni because of one loss. What they've done the past two weeks has been equally impressive as to what Miami's done in some of their wins. They're eleven and one now. I still think it's a Howie Roseman Executive of the Year team. I said it from the beginning when we did Coach of the Year stuff for FO. In our staff picks, I still think it's a Howie Roseman executive of the year team with like signing James Bradbury to an insane deal, so, like trading for CJ Gardner Johnson and getting him for value. I know he's out with a kidney laceration now, landing AJ Brown. Like, I, I still think, and even like regaining Jason Kelsey and convincing him not to retire. Like, there's so many different pieces in building this all. Plus the really easy schedule that I think people discount eleven and one Sirianni team. While he has been good, I think there are more compelling stories out there for Coach of the Year, like the turnaround that the Giants have had, the turnaround that the Jets have had. Uh, I, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick apart the Giants case for Coach of the Year and head scratchers pretty soon. So get that off while you can. All right. Well. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I just think there are more compelling cases as like singular coaches stuff. And I think McDaniel's kind of become a media darling where like he's probably doing coach of the year stuff too. Like it just like some stuff just falls by the wayside. I'm interested to see because I, I mean, nobody is more in awe of how much the Dolphins have turned it around than I. I fully did not pick them to make the playoffs this year, but I still. I think if if they end up like 10 and 7, 11 and 6 and the Eagles go 15 and 2, 16 and 1, it'd be hard for me not to give Sirianni coach of the year vote. That's right. I'm going to take this podcast in a very different direction now, Kale. This is this is my yearly rant. I've I've blocked it out because this is about the time of year it usually happens. I'm going to rant about how fantasy football is stupid and bad and only exists to torture us. (laughs) Because when I tell you that I invest too much time in thinking about fantasy football on Sunday, I mean, like it is, it's, it's all of us, right? Like it's the everyman thing. Doesn't matter if you're betting $10 or $2,000 a pop on your season. Everybody invests time. Everybody cares about it. And at the end of the day, it just works out total randomness and chaos. And there's nothing you can really do to actually give yourself the best chance to win. Not to say that it's all luck. I'm just saying it's 99.9% luck. 
Because let me break down for you what has happened to my fantasy team so far this year. I am the second highest scoring member of my fantasy football league, only about 10 points behind the first scoring member. I come into this week six and six. So right off the bat, I mean, I'm just getting 130s, 150s dropped on me every week. Not much you can do. I The joke around the league is that I need to fire my defensive coordinator because I just keep getting 150s put on me every week. This week, coming off a nice win last week, made a trade for Tyreek Hill, feeling great. Going up against the last place team in the league, feeling great. On game day, it is announced, of course, that Joe Mixon is not playing and Samaj P. Ryan is. I instantly knew I was in trouble because the last place team has Samaj P. Ryan on its bench. So that's that's point A. Point B, first quarter Sunday, quarterback Lamar Jackson goes down. He's just out. Rest of the game. 1.34 points. See you later. Quarterback position's dead. In spite of that, I pick up a combined... 80 points from A.J. Brown, Tyreek Hill, and Christian Watson. Should be enough to win the game. All he has left going into Sunday Night Football needing like 50 points is Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, and the Dallas defense. The Dallas defense scored 19 points in this game. I was tracking to win the game until the Jelani Woods fumble bouncing right into the arms of Malik Hooker. Waltz is in. Nobody within... 100 feet of him, and I just knew right then and there, my season's over. Why do I bring this up? It's the second year in a row that my season has ended in week 13 after being 6-6 six and six and getting 150 points dropped right on my head. This sport is dumb. <laughs> Investing our feelings into fantasy football is silly, and yet going to do it again next year. See you all then. We always do. Jackson, I I have not had a good season. Uh, it is the first time uh, amongst uh, my friends from home that I'm a member of their league. They had really early gotten into, like, fifth, sixth grade, gotten into a 12-team league. So, like, immediate deep league right off the bat. Uh, was not involved. They finally, after over a decade of playing together, decided, like, yeah, like, we've got four more friends that we need to get into this league. Why don't we open it up to a four-team team, uh, team, team league, two guys per team. Like, it'll still be a ton of extra depth. But, hey, let's try. It's also a keeper league. So, I'm starting out at a disadvantage already. My co, uh, co-owner. Had some, had some other things going on during the draft, so I'm fending for myself. <laughs> I think I draft like a good season. But, like, the entire season, between injury luck and just, like, constantly needing to catch up, uh, my team has been whittled away into nothing. Uh, I've also just outfoxed myself in trading. Uh after a slow start from Dalvin Cook and a really hot start from Rashad Bateman, I decided to flip him for James Robinson and Amari Cook, coasting off that. I then flip to try and then get some, like, do another sell high on T. Higgins. Trade T. Higgins and trade fodder for Adam Thielen, Rashad Penny, Tyler Higgins. Rashad Penny, immediately, immediate ACL tag. No dice there. 
I've now got Brandon Cooks on my bench, and I need a receiver help. I go get George Pickens. Like, all right, we're doing okay. Thielen's not quite cutting it for me. Mari's doing great. And I pick up Isaiah Pacheco on waivers. He's still doing – like, this is when he's still doing running back by committee in, in Kansas City. This is when Clyde edwards Elay are still getting a ton of juice. I flip Pacheco, Thielen, Cooper for Deontay Foreman, Aaron Jones, and Wandale Robinson. I am gassed up. Deontay Foreman immediately pops off for like a 25-yard game, a uh, 25-point game. Aaron Jones, Bell Cowback, Wandell Robinson doing awesome. Wandell Robinson's now gone for the year. Deontay Foreman's back into a pumpkin. Uh, I also had A.J. Dillon this entire time, so I was excited about the uh, potential handcuff of A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones. I've lost that handcuff every time. <laughs> when I start uh, A.J. Dillon, he's nothing. When I bench A.J. Dillon, Pops off. Also, Damian Harris is my other running back. He's been up and down all year, mostly down. Lost the job to Ramonde Stevenson, essentially. My top three wide receivers at this point are Jacoby Myers, Zay Jones, and George Pickens. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a bad, bad year. And if I didn't have Josh Allen, I'm still very much – I've lost eight straight games. Uh, I've dug myself a hole among holes. And if I didn't have Josh Allen, I'd be absolutely floundering. The thing about – fantasy football that's so frustrating is okay you can have the year from hell i've had the year from hell nobody likes the year from hell it's terrible you feel like every trade you make is the wrong move whatever i've never had a great team that finds ways to lose like if you look at my roster and you that you're like how is this a six and seven fantasy football team with lamar jackson dalvin cook miles sanders aj brown tyreek hill Pat Fryermuth, Christian Watson, A.J. Dillon, D.J. Moore on the bench, Devin Singletary on the bench. Like, just the fact that that team is 6-7 and seven just blows my mind. So I just wanted to get out of the way. It's our yearly rant. Fantasy football, stupid and bad. Can't wait to do it again next year. Can't wait to do the rant again next year. Curtains. Good stuff. Hey, looking forward, upside, either Traylon Burks, or Jacoby Myers, keeper, locking that in. So I've at least got some – it's it's the uh, it's the old Caddyshack, so I've got that going for me. Which is yeah. Nice. Well, here's here's a perfect transition for you, Kale. You know who else was on my opponent's fantasy football team today? It's a guy that scored thirty three point seven points in Devonte Adams. You know what Devonte Adams is getting besides anger from me? He's getting a TMB game ball. <laughs> Raiders won three in a row. Kale, Devonte Adams had some games this year where. Didn't necessarily look very Devontae Adams-y. One that stands out in particular is, of course, the shutout against the New Orleans Saints. Looking back, probably one of the weirdest football games of the year. Raiders didn't cross midfield until late in the fourth quarter. Devontae Adams, one catch for five yards. No, sorry, one catch for three yards on five targets. This game, a little bit different. Eight catches, 177, two long, contested, Beautiful touchdown catches. He had a one-hander where his second toe came down out of bounds that would have been a first down, too. Uh, And the fact that it didn't count isn't going to stop me from talking about what a sick catch it was because he's just kind of – he's back to being fully Devontae. Uh, And I think as much as the Packers are getting a lot now out of Watson and you're going to have Romeo Dobbs coming back, I just know how much Rodgers is missing playing with that guy. Because it's so special when he's going the way he's going right now. 
That's also why I'm not fully going to rule the Raiders out this season. Because you look at what the Patriots are doing. You look at what the Chargers are doing. Not much going on in the wide receiver rooms there. You have Derek Carr throwing to Devontae Adams. A lot of things can go well. Raiders also sneaky could be 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four right now if they weren't just terrible at holding on to leads. It's so fascinating, this Raiders team. I, I know we're kind of doing like the old 5-7 and seven dance. We're like, oh, it could be good. Like, they play the Patriots soon. They could leapfrog them in that win. Uh, you know, I think some of the Josh McDaniels uh, like job calling was justified. I also think that like this team was much too good to have the record that they had, which is why I think it's justified. And that being said, like now you see why everyone thought that they could like potentially compete. Like on top of just having two of the best offensive weapons at their respective position this year, and Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs, you have like. Some active, some activation finally on the defensive side of the ball. Like you finally getting some contribution out of uh, out of Jalen Hurts or not Jalen? Uh, no, not even close. Chandler Jones. My, hey, that's the one. I'm staring at the uh, I'm staring at the Titans Eagles game box for the next game ball. Spoilers, but just a like just a fantastic game on Devontae Adams. It's impressive that he just continues to do this week in and week out all i will say is that we are four days away potentially likely i would even say from the raiders getting to six and seven then they play the patriots then they play the steelers and then they finish up with sf and kansas city but there's a world where san francisco is still playing well we know san francisco is still going to be playing with brock purdy and Kansas City may have things locked up, may not be playing for anything week 18. So I am not ruling things out just yet for the Raiders. And you know who they play on Thursday night, Kale? The Rams. What a game. What a primetime football game. The Rams play in primetime twice in the next three weeks. Get ready for it. Jackson, I'd like to say something. Please. Actually, three of the next three weeks because – Thursday, Monday, and then standalone game against the Broncos on Christmas. Get ready, folks, for prime time John Wolford. Okay. Uh, I'd like to just say, John Wolford almost beat the Seahawks today. I don't know how it happened, and I don't know how it needed to come down to a uh, game-winning drive by Geno Smith and DK Metcalf, but, hey, it almost happened, Jackson. They got their best rushing game of the year, I think, and are getting – Two touchdowns for Cam Akers. You want to talk about a weird fantasy outcome? You tell me who started Cam Akers in fantasy this week. The guy you were playing. Probably. Yeah, 18 and a half fantasy points and half point PPR for Cam Akers today on everyone's bench. Getting major contributions from Tutu Atwell – Van Jefferson finally coming back. Uh, Austin Trammell had a catch in there. I mean, just a f- bizarre game from uh, a team that I especially had written off as uh, dead in the water. And they end up outright covering. So. You know what? I think they still are dead in the water, Kale. I'm comfortable with saying that. And also now they're being not like- impressed with the way the Seahawks played on defense at all today. I know. I know. All right, well, you go. You go offense. 
get back in the right direction here. We already talked about it. My offensive game ball, A.J. Brown, eight receptions, 119 yards, pair of touchdowns in a – not a revenge game, but a uh, a salt-in-the-wound game. Because I think that the Tennessee Titans already knew that they were – Going to regret in some capacity trading A.J. Brown away. They probably knew that the combination of Robert Woods and Traylon Burks was not enough to replace what they had lost in A.J. Brown. And they would be right because they were a Chagosimo Conquo 41-yard reception away from just outright being <laughs> out-received by A.J. Brown, uh, almost single-handedly took over this game for the Philadelphia Eagles, has one touchdown wiped off the board, immediately goes in for another, a fantastic game against his former team, and A.J. Brown just having a heck of a year. I've personally never seen that before. 41-yard touchdown, nullified Next play, 41-yard touchdown anyway. Screw you. I've never seen that. That was awesome. It was – and both one catch was – I argue that the second touchdown makes up for having the first touchdown wiped off because the first touchdown, genuine highlight, barely gets a toe out. Second touchdown, straight up bully ball, like throws a guy over and draws DPI and still just ends up walking backwards into the end zone. Maybe the most disrespectful thing you can do and not get flagged for. Yeah, it was – well, I that's why I do think it was still a revenge game is how he acted after that touchdown. He's, like, doing the, like, this is my house thing. He's like, yeah, I'm here now. You could have still had me. I'm here. And I know that's a salt in the wound thing, but, like, he's still pissed because all they had to do was pay him what he's worth. Like, $100 million for an A.J. Brown is market value, and they weren't willing to do it. Jackson, he literally said after the trade, it's like Tennessee Titan fans, I want you to know in all caps, this is not my fault. Yeah, that's revenge. That's revenge on the front office. That's checkbook revenge is what that is. Good stuff, Kel. Good stuff. Defensive game balls. I'm going to stay in Eagles land because Josh Sweat had himself a day. And it's going to be one of those defensive game balls where I shout out Josh Sweat, give him his shine, let him take home the pigskin, but also just generally talk about the job the Eagles did up front today. Because I think that was, I mean, I even said it on our show on Friday. I picked the Titans to win this game outright. Boy, do I feel silly for that. And the reason I said so is because we've seen it all year. The Eagles don't have a very good rushing defense today. They stepped at the absolute F up. Derrick Henry, 11 carries for 30 yards. Milk carton, no, nowhere to be seen. Overall, Tennessee runs at 21 times for 87 yards. Long of 17, which is Ryan Tannehill on a scramble. They just bottled him up. And that was the only way they were going to win this game. Did a good job getting pressure on Tannehill as well. That's mainly where Sweat comes in with his team leading two sacks. Also had another tackle for loss. Overall, they had five tackles for loss in the run game. They just, they shut it down. N'Kobe Dean had a nice day. Javon Hargrave had a nice day. Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox each had a tackle for loss. It's like anyone who was playing up front for Philly 
did exactly what they needed to do. And that's why they didn't just score a bunch of points in this game. They shut Tennessee down. They had three points after the first quarter. A fascinating development because you didn't think you thought you like this felt like the perfect team for Philadelphia to match up with a team that could really run the ball where you didn't really have to pass a ton on them. And even if you did, they were without CJ Gardner Johnson and it just didn't really matter. Like apps, this is, I, it, it comes from football outsiders, Tom Gower. The fact that Derrick Henry had a longest run of six in a game with at least 10 touches, like historically, historically, uh, Unprecedented for him. There's only one game where he's done worse. When he played New England in 2017 uh, in the postseason, he had a game of 12 rushes for 28 yards, and his longest run was just four yards. Outside of that one game, he's never had a worse rushing performance on the ground. Like, this is a statement victory in the front seven for the Philadelphia Eagles. The fact that they were just able to absolutely isolate one of the most dominant and powerful rushers in the NFL. Maybe there's a speed difference that we're not thinking of in the, uh, like, that maybe that's the weakness and they can't keep up. But, like, in terms of just big bodies with heavy yards after contact, you feel like Derrick Henry would be the ideal problem for a Philadelphia Eagles defense, and he just got swallowed up. Yeah, I, I want to – stick on the Henry point for just a sec because we had a, a mid-season FO article where uh, Brian Knowles wrote up the mid-season award winners, but he crowdsourced it. We talked through a lot of it in our email chain, uh, and we kind of decided that Derrick Henry was second place in the Opoi rankings. And the biggest reason I thought so was you have Tyreek Hill putting up these incredible numbers in an, a, just a beautiful, eloquent offense with you know, first year coordinator doing all the right things, wide receiver two on lock, uh, you know, young quarterback blossoming. He's getting schemed open. He's doing all this great stuff. Derrick Henry was doing what he was doing when opposing defenses knew that Derrick Henry was the first, second, and third option on the Titans offense. There was nothing else they could do, especially before there was any sort of emergence from Traylon Burks. Uh, it was all Derrick Henry. So, I just think he's wearing down a little bit. I think it, it gets to you when you just are getting beat on week after week for 15 weeks and everybody knows that you're the guy the team wants to get the ball to. They came into this week 18th in rushing DVOA. It's not like they've done a good job of actually, you know, running an efficient offense through Henry. He's just been such a workhorse and all the credit to him. And I still think he deserves credit for this incredible season he's having, but you're going to wear down at some point when you have nothing else going on in the offense. Certainly does not help that now Traylon Burks may be out for a while uh, after taking a vicious hit. Other side note, what a weird start to a career for Traylon Burks. Your first touchdown is a fumble recovery of your own teammate after a super long run, and your first receiving touchdown, you get knocked out of the game. Tough pill. Listen, the flashes Traylon Burks has shown have – 
been good enough for me where I just told you he's going to be my keeper because he looks awesome. Oh, he's great. When he's, when I just wish playing. he'd gotten to stay on the field today. When he's playing because he's missed a lot this year. And also, side note, I uh, I made a little call. Uh, Derrick Henry under 1,300 yard rushing prop. 1048 with five games left to play. It's uh, This was a big, this was a big makeup ground game in that conversation for me, but it's getting a little down to the wire, but it's close. Doesn't that not count this game? Is it? I mean, it's not a huge difference, but yeah, that doesn't count this game. So it's up to 1078, not 1048. I have, oh, does PFR didn't update? Then yeah, I'm screwed. Has not. Okay. 11 11 games, so now 12 games, 1078. Yeah, they only have the Cincinnati game. Okay. I think well, I think you can average uh, 50 well, yards a game the rest of the year, especially when you still have another matchup against the Houston Texans. I will remind you, Kale, that the last four times Derrick Henry has played the Texans, he has rushed for at least 200 yards. Jackson, you don't need to, and that's okay. You <laughs> uh, Give me my, your defensive game my ball. My defensive game ball. My defensive game ball. Guys, I'm talking about Derrick Henry. For my sake. My defensive game ball. Nick Bosa. Uh, Nick Bosa. Absolutely dominant in the backfield. Uh, absolutely took advantage of the fact that Miami had neither of their starting tackles. Uh, just a force in the backfield all game. Uh, and three, <laughs> a, a fascinating stat line of three total tackles, three solo tackles, three sacks, two tackles for loss, four QB hits. Just breathed down to his throat, had all three sacks for the San Francisco 49ers in this game. Uh, just, just what a dominant, dominant force that Nick Bose has been, not only in this game, but this year. Uh, if Micah Parsons wasn't just the absolute runaway for Depoy, it's feeling like Nick Bosa, I feel like, would very much deserve a nomination. The three sacks in this I think game. he's in it. I think it's closer than you think. I, I still think Micah's winning, but I don't think it's over. If Listen, I, I just screwed up reading the box score, so I'm not going to trust myself again. I think <laughs> this puts him up to 14.5 sacks on the year, which is nuts. Uh Hartens all this uh, pass rush for uh, San Francisco. Just absolutely electric. It, it, the same thing that I say about TJ Watt, just a force multiplier, opens up so much more for other players just because you have to account so much for him. And this is like, I mean, top to bottom, we could have given a lot of different uh, guys on this defensive game ball. I mean, three different interceptions, a forced fumble by Jawan Jennings, like, Guys all over the place making plays for the San Francisco defense in a just just brutal uh, game for the Miami Dolphins. And yet still, yeah. you know, still you'd be more inclined. 45-yard touchdown. Yeah, you, you'd be more inclined to give it to Fred Warner if you looked at Tua's pass chart today because it's just a blank circle in the middle of the field. Nobody's Fred- going after Fred Warner. Best linebacker in football. Yeah. Uh, one of, if not the, just like it's the only thing that gives you confidence that they can get this done with Brock Purdy at the helm. Yeah. It's not Brock Purdy himself. And I was trying to think of a funny way to say this, 
this is like not that funny, but has to be said. Uh, Nick Bosa went after Tua like he was holding a copy of the U.S. Constitution out there this week, didn't he, Kale? Got him. <laughs> well, then, on that extremely funny note, we go to special teams game balls to talk about something really not funny, the Cleveland Browns. Um, nothing funny. Winner but, after winner. <laughs> but uh, it does need to be said that Donovan Peoples-Jones had a 76-yard punt return touchdown today, and he didn't sign Deshaun Watson. So I'll let him have a special teams game ball. You wrote it on the Google Doc today, Kale. Uh, not a great special teams week overall. So it would just be a disservice to us and our listeners to not give the guy who had a punt return touchdown a special teams game ball. But he made Deshaun Watson one and zero because of it. So I don't particularly feel great doing it. I'm not even listen. It's not it, regardless of that. He Watson made himself look bad, and the two defensive touchdowns and the PRTD by Donovan Peoples-Jones make it all, you know, make it all fine. Like, I don't know. Cleveland landed a really good player in Donovan Peoples-Jones who is quickly emerged into a very competent wide receiver two behind Amari Cooper and just the ultimate kind of drafts reclamation of a six-round pick into a really consistent and competent contributor on a pretty otherwise uh, you know, relatively anemic offense from a passing perspective. It's good to see. And having, you know, having him additionally contribute in special teams, like big fine for the Cleveland Brown. I'm just not trying to give the Cleveland Browns too many feel-good stories. But DPJ is 18 in DVOA among receivers and 27 in DYAR, despite, you know, not having a ton of volume. So, honestly, very impressed by the guy uh, just over the course of this year. And I would kind of make fun of Cleveland a bit when Donovan Peoples-Jones was their leading option behind an injured Odell and an injured uh, – Oh my God, blanking the name. Jarvis uh, Landry. Jarvis Landry. Thank you. Yes. Who's always still injured. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's really emerged into a competent player. Very good, very good find by the Cleveland Browns. Hey, genuinely great for him. I wish I could root for the Browns because it would be fun to have one of these five and seven teams that you could see running the table. And if Brissett was still in there, they would be my pick because that is a nice cakey schedule, but I ain't doing it because the nasty man is playing quarterback. Give me your special teams game ball. Jackson, dip it into the college. Ball. Because I could have – It's called desperation gone, right there, folks. Could have gone Greg the leg in a loss. Harrison Bucker put himself in a position to get a game-winning ball. Didn't quite get there. And – Outside of that, not really a lot to work with, folks. So you got to dip to the college level. And that's where we're going. Ty Zentner out of Kansas State. He was the team's punter and kickoff specialist for the last two years. Only took over place kicking duties 
on October 29th of this year. Prior to that, had one field goal attempt. Missed it. Finished this season nine for nine on field goals and 29 for 29 on extra points. Absolutely automatic after taking over for their injured place kicker, including three for three on extra points and drilling the game winner in overtime of the Big 12 championship against undefeated TCU. That being said, TCU still makes the playoffs. He didn't play spoiler, but hey, banners fly forever. Thysander kicks a game winner. Got to get a game ball. Hey, I agree. I don't know why this makes me think that, but like, wouldn't it be more fun if college football had NFL extra points? Because the 20 yard extra points are just so silly. They're complete gimmies. I really like that it kind of sparks the the two point math a little bit more when extra points are like a 95% proposition instead of 99.9. So that's just my comment. Uh, I don't have much else to add on Ty Zentner. Don't know his mom, but uh, very good second half of the season and a big 12 championship to boot. I disagree on the uh, extra point. If only because college football is still bad football. Like it's, it's five years ahead of the NFL from actual schematics, but the, like the floor of performance is still poor and we still get some very weird and wacky games. The chaos factor in college football is already high enough. Let's not make it higher for teams. Give them right. something. Give them something that's a gimme. Okay. You can have gimmies. Makes less sense that their two-point conversions come from the three-yard line. I'll say that. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> no sense. Um, time for some uniforms. It was really a nice uniform week. I think before we hand out the game balls, I want to give a shout-out to Colts-Cowboys, which was a terrible game from a football perspective, uh, unless you like points and scoragamis, which I do. So, scoragami was nice. But the uh, the Cowboys-Colts would have been great already. The red, white, and blue Cowboys helmet stripe. I didn't necessarily know what I was looking at, but I liked it. I didn't like it. But – there was like an obvious winner from a, you know, this is a throwback standpoint and really two, because we could go back to Thursday night and say uh, Patriots bills, but I'm going to leave the obvious throwback game to you and just go Raiders chargers. I feel like we would use that at least once every year. We didn't do it week one to my knowledge. Uh, and something about the Raiders black in that uniform matchup is very special because you have the chargers with these bright colors, the powder blue, uh, and then the Raiders are just murdered out and it's awesome. I loved everything about that. Jackson, they were, okay. Let's address your game before I start rattling off more. Fantastic game from a uniform perspective, Uh bad football game because the chargers look bad. Yeah. Uh, Bad, also, bad. rarely before we get off the uniforms, rarely do I say this, but the captain's patch with the Raiders uniforms really adds something. The silver captain's patch with the black C in the middle of it looks really, really good on Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs. Carry on. There's, there's all, it's the same deal with, uh, I see it the same way as NBA advertisements. There are only a select few 
There's some that are totally neutral. There's some that are a complete distraction, like the Clippers hold Bumble uh, logo. (laughs) But there's some like the Celtics GE logo that just works so seamlessly that they almost add to the uniform. Yeah, I missed that. That was great. I like that you brought that up about the Raiders. Rattling off a bunch of games, you already mentioned Indy Dallas. The other throwback game we had was uh, Washington, New York, with uh, the Giants bringing their throwbacks in. And I honestly didn't hate that matchup just from a uniform game perspective. I know the commanders' uniforms aren't great, but I still think their white is their best and most reminiscent of the classic Washington of various team names uniform. And I don't even mind the gradient numbers. I still think it's it's at least creative, add something. Uh, Chiefs-Bengals, interesting. <laughs> I'll just call it interesting, but it wasn't awful. Uh, game ball I've got oh, – oh, and I forgot the one I actually want to bring up was Miami-San Francisco. Miami All-Whites, the San Francisco uh, – what, road unis, I guess? But, like, oh. home unis. Never mind if I was in San Francisco. But the colored uniforms. Fantastic, like just a fantastic matchup. Uh, game ball I'm actually going to give is Pittsburgh, Atlanta. Atlanta goes <clears> to the throwbacks, <throat> Pittsburgh goes to the whites. It was a pretty mid game. We're starting to get rid of rumblings because of just how open uh, every Atlanta receiver was, and yet Marcus Mario could not hit them. But hey, at least it was fun to look at, not watch, but look at. Yeah, exactly. Uh, man, were there some pretty uniforms? Yeah, you we 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 like to bring up one little detail in the uniform that really like lit uh, really tickles our fancy. It's it's one forty four a.m. Guys, sorry, speech patterns are just off. Uh, the yellow stripes in the helmet trim of Atlanta's uniforms are unreal. They don't. There's no other yellow in the uniform, and they just have this little yellow stripe among the black and white on the red helmets, and it's. Mm. I'm sorry. I just watched. Uh, I'm sorry. I just watched in in going back to this game. Uh, Najee Harris pound a man's oh, yeah. on a stiff arm. Uh, that was violent. Yeah. Uh, if you're a fan of the angry runs segment on Good Morning Football, you're gonna be seeing that one this week. It's it's violent. Uh, yeah, I like that a ton from the Atlanta Falcons. It almost makes me wish they incorporated more yellow. But the fact that it doesn't exist anywhere in their, like, you know, not only uniform, but, like, the Atlanta Falcons style guide. Like, <laughs> any, piece of, any piece of media or comms, uh, comms work they've ever put out, not a single ounce of yellow. But the fact that there's one stripe on their helmet makes it, makes it more fun. Well, how appropriate that it's against the Steelers, who have no red or blue anywhere in their color scheme except the little hypocycloids in their logo. It's exactly. it's a it's a perfectly balanced as all things should be. It's you know what's not perfectly balanced? Brian Dable's clock management in the fourth quarter today. You're not gonna, no, you're no, you're gonna let me talk about <laughs> the Kale Sicko uniform game of the week. Wait, you didn't do that already in that two minutes before you got to your uniform game? No, we're doing Jacksonville, Detroit, because in Kale's Sicko game oh. of the week, where I always bring up some random color thing. I almost brought it up with Pittsburgh, Atlanta, but that game reminded me of ketchup and mustard. 
because <laughs> it's just red and yellow with black and white as the other thing. And outside of really good uniforms, that mildly distracted me. There was something very soothing about Jacksonville, <laughs> Detroit, where the Honolulu blue and the teal of the Jacksonville uniform looked at like a like the color palette of an oil painting of the ocean and it was really satisfying to watch and I, it's not a 144 thing that is the thing i texted jacks at like 120 I, yeah my powers. and i'm gonna tell you something i see it the complete opposite way uh i don't like that those two shades of honolulu blue and teal are kind of close to each other but not the same it confuses my eyes and the fact that the Lions went blue on blue today makes me want to puke because that was gross. I didn't even mind it. It was nice. Well, it's, it, it's the best opponent they could have gone all blue against, in my opinion. Uh, you're, you're entitled to your opinions. Um, we're, <laughs> we're rolling into head scratchers. Um, Kale may have ruined the segue, but I don't really care. We're just going to talk about what Brian Dable did today. Uh, Brian Dable has largely escaped criticism this year. Done a really good job for the most part. Not escaping it today. You played to a tie, and you pretty much did it to yourself. So let's go through it. Fast forwarding all the way ahead to 142 left in overtime. Giants have the ball fourth and three at the Washington 45-yard line. Sounds to me like you should go for it, because if you punt with 142 left in overtime, you're basically saying, I want the tie. Brian Dable wants the tie. He punts it away. Fine with not kicking a 62-yard Graham Gano field goal in 40-degree weather in East Rutherford. Go for it, Brian Dable. But this is small potatoes compared to what happens next. Washington takes over at their own 10-yard line. First down play, Taylor Heineke sacked for an 8-yard loss. Down at the 2-yard line, Giants use one of their two overtime timeouts, and it's like, oh, now we're going to get the ball back in good field position. Next play, coming out of the timeout, Brian Robinson runs to the sideline, picks up 8 yards, and fumbles the ball out of bounds, which stops the clock with 123 remaining. Now, this is where it gets confusing because they wind the clock, and I think that's because he fumbles out of bounds, but they don't wind it until really late in the play clock. So basically what ends up happening is the game clock shows 110. The play clock shows 10 seconds and Dable blows his second timeout. Makes absolutely no sense to use your second timeout there when the clock was stopped for a majority of the play clock. At this point, there's only 10 seconds left. So you think about it. They're going to run the play with a minute. You're going to tackle them with 55. You're going to get the ball back with about 45 to 50. Instead, you call the timeout. They bring the clock all the way back to 123, which makes me think maybe the play clock or maybe the clock was just stopped all along in the stadium. Who knows? But they bring it back to a minute and 23. But now Washington picks up a five-yard run on third and 10. No timeouts left for New York, so they get the ball back with, instead of 50 seconds left, maybe more, 28 seconds left. Daniel Jones almost gets them in the field goal range. In fact, he kind of does. They get the ball to the 40-yard line. They kick a 58-yard field goal, and it comes up short. Barely. Maybe, maybe five, six yards closer, and he makes that. So if you're keeping track, Dable doesn't use his second timeout. The Giants end up with 
minimum 20 extra seconds to go seven, eight more yards. I think they probably could have done it. Jackson. Originally in the Google Doc when we were putting this article together, I had said that you had stolen my segment. Jackson, you did not even bring up the segment I was going to talk about. Let's rewind. Second half. Giants are driving down the field, putting together a 13-play, 66-yard drive that they're in the midst of. 30 seconds left. Daniel Jones scrambles up the middle for two yards. At this point in the game, Daniel Jones has yet to miss a single pass, and they're starting to run, like, sneaks and scrambles on first and ten. Only eats up four seconds a clock. Giants burn their second timeout. Gets a pass off to Richie James for seven yards. Burn their last timeout. Daniel Jones then runs it again on two for two yards on third and one. That shaves 14 seconds of clock off. They spike it with two seconds left and kick a field goal on second down. The amount of clock they burn by starting to run it toward the end, in addition to like a couple runs that they had had earlier where the play that leads off the drive, a nine-yard run by Saquon Barkley, 23 seconds left before the two-minute warning, they take that play right into the two-minute warning. A scramble by Daniel Jones for four yards eats 23 seconds a clock off. Like, while they have, like, they march 75 yards downfield and they end up getting there and picking up more and more. They get a big run from Saquon. The rest are mostly getting off of passes from Danny Dunn. The fact that they're starting to run QB sneaks and QB draws with him is completely asinine when they have such little time left on. I do not disagree with you, and yet I feel like my overtime stuff weighs much more heavily. I, they could have possibly gotten a touchdown there. You're absolutely right. At least they got the field goal. I was worried you were going to, like, foil me with the the over-the-top head scratcher. That wow. was just a nice warm-up head scratcher to what ends up being a very public, very embarrassing overtime head scratcher for our boy Brian Dable. Overtime was much worse. But there's a world where they actually put this game away and they don't even need overtime. Oh, multiple worlds. That that game script played out perfectly for the Giants. They had to win that game. A tie is a loss. Now they go to Washington in two weeks. They probably lose that one. They probably miss the playoffs. Honestly, let's tie it again. Let's run Raiders LA back from last year and just really go to the full nines on it. Well, I saw a great thing that was like the last six times – the uh, Giants and Commanders Washington football franchise go to overtime against each other. They are two, two, and two. That's perfect. That's that's exactly again perfectly balanced as all things should be. Disgusting. <laughs> of disgusting. My game ball, or my game ball. I guess it's I guess it's a head scratcher. It's a game ball of a head scratcher because perfect. I don't know how the Minnesota Vikings keep getting away with it. <laughs> Minnesota Vikings will go from the, according to Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders, will go from the first team ever with a negative DVOA at nine and two to the first team ever with a negative DVOA at 10 and two. This is the worst team, not only by 10 and two standards, but nine and three standards. The remarkable thing about them 
is that their schedule gets easier the rest of the season. They can <laughs> easily finish like 14 and three without playing much better than they currently have. They're probably not even going to get crushed in the playoffs easier and lose by just random fate. This is the breakdown by Warren Sharp of the loss between the Jets and the Vikings. How are the Vikings 10 and 2? asked Warren Sharp. Yards today. Jets 486, Vikings 287. Offensive red zone today. Jets 1 of 6, Vikings 3 of 3. Turnovers today. Jets 2, Vikings 0. Penalties today. Jets 6, Vikings 3. Vikings is getting all the good karma go their way after years of the opposite. A great English, Warren Sharp. But. <laughs> But he has a point. Some animosity behind that. (laughs) (laughs) Just because I was reading it, I'm like, I need people to know that I'm not saying this. I am reading it. Uh, But it does does raise a good point. The Vikings are getting insanely lucky. That first Mike White interception is, is overconfidence in a throwing window that a guy like Mike White should probably not be throwing into. But the fact that that ball, instead of like... The yeah, Corey Davis kind of dives on it and like crunches it up like this. The guy over the top is what breaks it up, but somehow in the ricochet of it all, the ball pops straight up and backwards for Harrison Smith to go get and return for you know eight extra yards. The touchdown plays that Minnesota got are on were either helped by multiple. Jets penalties or Matt, you know, their first touchdown drive is a 14 play 74 yard drive that had a defensive holding call by DJ Reed, a defensive holding call by Sauce Gardner, and an unnecessary roughness penalty by Jordan Whitehead that I personally thought was a BS call. Kind of laid the boom on Justin Jefferson. And they called it like a little lead with the helmet by Whitehead. Suspects, to say the least. Then they put it together. Still caught the ball, by the way. Justin Jefferson. I've never seen someone make so many catches in traffic as he has this year. It's been unreal to watch. He's, he's, in, oh, listen, he's incredible. He's He should be Opoy in Opoy conversation because he's the one producer for this Vikings team. The second touchdown drive the Vikings put on is a 11-play, 86-yard drive. That ends up the one play that DJ Reed gets hurt on. And DJ Reed has played nearly all, if not every single defensive snap for the New York Jets today. Second he gets off, Jalen Rager, of all people, gets a 38-yard bomb by Kirk Cousins. They also get a first down ruling uh, charge. First down gets upheld. Uh, that doesn't go their way. Alexander Madison gets a 14-yard rush in. The 7.75-yard drive ends up also with another massive, massive game for Adam Thielen. Like, they're getting helped by so many huge plays that constitute, like, five or six plays constitute the vast majority of the Vikings' gains today. And of their, you know, 173 yards that Kirk had passing today. I just don't understand how they keep getting away with this against very, very good opponents 
again, this team has a schedule at Lions, hosting Colts, hosting Giants, at Packers, at Bears. And my pick for next week will probably be Viking or Lions over Vikings in the FL staff picks pool, regardless of spread, just based on karmic justice alone. And it probably will blow up in your face. And even if that game goes my way somehow, they're probably going 4-0 down the stretch anyway to go 14-3. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is having the worst year of his Vikings career. Maybe the worst year of his entire career outside of, like, one weird one in Washington. Like, this is – it's bonkers stuff. He's 20th in DVOAs, 23rd in QBR. He's – Worse than Marcus Mariota by several metrics. And yet he does have those like two or three clutch throws in him every game uh, that seem to just barely be enough uh, when everything else breaks right the Vikings way. I don't know how they can keep doing it. Kale, the Vikings are 10 and two. You said before the season that one of your favorite prop bets was Vikings to win the NFC North coupled with Kevin O'Connell coach of the year, because if the Vikings were going to win this division, you know, what else was really going to change besides the coaching same cast of characters, they're dominating the division. And yet I don't think he's in the top three for coach of the year. Probably not. And I think a lot of it is New York media bias, like a little bit of it with how much coverage of Dayball and Sala that, a lot of New York-based writers will get where I don't think the Giants are very deserving. Take Dable and Salah out of it. I still wouldn't have him in the top three. Well, because, again, I we said it at the top, Mike McDaniel, media darling. Uh, he's getting his entire – he's getting an entire section in the year in quotes next year already, uh, and he's been the coach for, like, six months. Uh, he's doing <laughs> – he's putting together elite podium games, I will admit. But – yeah, this is by far Kirk Cousins' worst year as a Viking by DVOA, by DYAR. Uh, Dalvin Cook is going a month without scoring as a running back. He is not having that fantastic of a – like he's doing – he's 18th by DVOA as a running back. Literally, the one saving grace of this offense is Justin Jefferson – and then even on defense, while they have big producers like uh, like just a career turnaround by Patrick Peterson, they're still 23rd by defensive DVOA, 27th in passing DVOA. Like, across the board, you cannot find good things about this Vikings team. And in talking to shots, in breaking down uh, one of the games they had, but – where things go right for the Vikings is game script in the first 15 plays of the game. And then the fourth quarter, like it is a chasm in metrics. Like they do really well out the gate, jump to an early lead, just dribble down their pants for, you know, the equivalent of a half. And then things just are bouncing their way and they do fantastically and actually make some very gutsy plays in the fourth quarter to earn them the victory. But for about 30 minutes in between, probably closer to 35, 40, because of how long game script takes, they're really not doing much. It's a weird, weird football team. I think you've summed it up admirably. 
I like who's touching Viking 16 to one to win the Super Bowl. When in any other point in history could you get a 10 and two team at 16 to one to win the Super Bowl? And why should I believe in this one? I don't I think mean, it exists. Yeah. A, a 16 to one team at 10 and two to win the Super Bowl and have not it, just an ounce of desire to talk. I'm just flushing that money down the toilet, is what it feels like. Exactly. Like when we went through, like, who's the fourth best team? I was more willing to take the Seattle Seahawks, who almost lost to John Wolford, than I was to take the already very good Minnesota Vikings. We called them, you know, fraudulent then. It still feels like it now. And if they didn't have one of the five to three best wide receivers in the league, this would be a very, very different football team. Well, let's stay right on the topic of head scratchers, but move into our Monday Night Football preview, because this game is both. Let me tell you, Kale, <laughs> about the NFC South. Let me tell you about. Let me tell you about the Saints versus the Bucks. Can you can you please spare me? No. If the Saints win this football game, here will be the standings in the NFC South: five and seven Buccaneers, five and eight Saints. Five and eight Falcons, four and eight Panthers. Fun <laughs> football. I just, I just want to, I just want a six and six Buccaneers team. <laughs> and the thing is, they never, they never play the Saints well. <laughs> Somewhere, some, like I can't explain it. I really, really can't. They, I. I even when this was a full-strength Saints team and it was a hobbled Bucks team, it took a, it took a Mike, uh, Mike Evans hockey fight to really juice up the Buccaneers into winning that game because they were pretty close to losing it without it. Uh, I just don't know how this game is going to go. I've lost a lot of faith in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Still have faith in Tom Brady. But, like, they keep finding ways to, you know, they do really well with play action and then refuse to run it the next week in a loss to the Brown. Like, I just don't know. Like, up is down and left is right in this Bucks team. I can't read heads or tails of them. And I just don't know what to say about them anymore. Like, Bucks win, but, like, at what cost? <laughs> uh, can I interest you in a – Carolina Panthers make the playoffs argument. Jackson, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> um, the Sam Darnold-led Carolina Panthers is going to make the playoffs. Right? Yeah. You know why? Because they would be one game back of the Bucs. They've already beaten the Bucs this year. Dude, Next week they play at the Seahawks, a team that I think, you know, they should lose to, but they might not. Granted, the Panthers are 0-5 on the road this year, so maybe not a likely win. They play the Steelers. They play the Lions. These could all be losses. These could all also somehow be wins. They play the Bucks for a second time, and then they finish up with the Saints. I'm not even saying you have to win all those games. If the Panthers go 3-2 and two and end up 7-10 and 10 with the tiebreaker over the Bucks, there's a world they win the division at 7-10. and 10. It's disgusting, but it's possible. Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the 25th easiest schedule sorry 25th hardest schedule in the league going forward 
they should walk to the playoffs. You say that, but they have the Niners and Bengals in there. Anything less is a travesty. (laughs) They can lose both of those games and still comfortably make the playoffs. And yet this is going to be a divisional race that comes down to like the last two weeks. And I'm sick of it. Oh, Kale. Let me let me just tell you one other thing about the Bucks. They play after those two games, they play at the Cardinals on Christmas E on Christmas night on Sunday night football, NBC. Can't wait for that one. That could be Tom, that could be Tom Brady recruiting Cliff Kingsbury to come be his offensive coordinator for the Patriots next year. <laughs> that could be all sorts of things. Oh my God. Let's 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 listen back. We've closed this pod on a very dark note. Uh, <laughs> Jackson, when we record these this late, talking about the NFC South may give me nightmares. Let's brighten our horizons a bit and look ahead to a week 14 where games have unfortunately gotten very expensive. But for Okay, Cody, bam. Raiders Rams, 125 bucks Thursday night. Get there. <laughs> There's a lot of like there's a lot of it's mostly divisional games next week, which is awesome. I'm very excited for this big divisional blitz. And the ones that aren't are oddly very interesting. Yeah, it's a weird week from a primetime standpoint. Not really any games that I'm stoked about. It was the same this week, to be fair, but Aside from the aforementioned Vegas Rams game, we've got uh, the Tua Herbert Bowl on Sunday night, which obviously I'm morbidly curious about, but also I'm just awaiting Emmanuel Acho's outburst. Uh, He was kind of quiet, timid, slash still indignant in his uh, Tua defenses after today, despite Tua playing his worst game of the season. I have no doubt that he will be impossible to deal with after this one. And then uh, a nice New England, Arizona game on Monday night. We'll get a lot of Arizona in prime time down the stretch, a lot of green Bay, a lot of Los Angeles, and we still have another Colts prime time game this year. So buckle up kids. It's going to be a fun ride. I mean, the prices are going up. The, the one, the least expensive game on this slate is Houston at Dallas at $42. Wouldn't do it. <laughs> if you paid me $42 <laughs> and bought my flights. Yeah, not going to see the Houstons. The, the Houston Texans are going to be the lowest price every week moving forward. Couldn't even muster up a crowd to boo Deshaun Watson today. Um, book it every week for the rest of the year. Texans lowest prices. No, Jackson, I'm going to present to you. Let's go. I'll give you three options. Would you? I'll give you four. I'll give you four. Let's let's. I'll make them rapid fire. Eighty-eight bucks to go see Minnesota at Detroit. Hotly contested division round, keeping the Detroit Lions playoff hopes alive. Potential fraud watch for the Minnesota Vikings. Option B: the Tyler Huntley, Kenny Pickett, Baltimore Pittsburgh game for seventy-four dollars again. Hotly contested divisional race. Baltimore needs to win this. Pittsburgh's starting to look a little frisky. You can really ball out for arguably what should be one of the best games of the week 
but is now slightly sour. The Tom Brady Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> at the Bryce Perkins. Uh, or not Bryce. What, I don't even know the guys. Brock Purdy. Brock Same Purdy. initials. Not bad. I, I think I just named the Rams third string quarterback. You did? Right. Yeah. Uh, $164 in San Francisco. Not in San Francisco. You're going to get me on that. Yeah, 50, 55 <laughs> miles from San Francisco. Uh, but, hey, it could be where Tom Brady's playing next year. Who knows, according to maybe Colin Coward or maybe people who think that Tom Brady's going to leave. Or 60 bucks, you get to go to the Tua Herbert Bowl in L.A. Oh, that's the one. I'm going to the Tua Herbert Bowl. Even, like, if I'm going to the game, then I don't have to listen to Acho on Twitter afterward, for one. Uh, for two, I'm not going – that that stadium in Santa Clara is so overpriced and so far away from everything civilized that it's just no way. And it's twice as expensive as every other game. Uh, Baltimore Pittsburgh is going to be freezing cold. No, thank you. That's also just going to be a sickos game. Yeah. A lot of defense. Round and pound, five yard passes. Yeah. No, thanks. Uh, And then Minnesota Detroit would be the only other one that's in contention for me. Ultimately, I just don't want to have to get to Detroit and back. And they're also making me pay 28 more bucks. So yeah, I'll I'll go check out ridiculous $5 billion SoFi stadium. I'll watch Tyreek Hill run wild. uh, And I'll watch another week of Justin Herbert uh, fighting with everything he has with everything going against him. Bang for buck. I think Minnesota Detroit's game of the week. Like it, like if we're doing it like price per price per actual game value, that is by far game of the week. Well, the worst game of the week by you know price point value. Eagles Giants at one sixty two. Couldn't pay me. Couldn't pay me one sixty two. Actually, no, you could very looking, much looking over my shoulder at uh yeah one sixty two. I'll take that. Looking over my shoulder at MetLife Stadium off in the distance right now, and uh, it's calling me. <laughs> Jackson, I I hope you have better things to do with $162 than watch the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Eagles run rampant over New York. I do. I'm trying to host a Christmas party on Sunday, and your ass is invited. That's going to do it, folks. Surprise <laughs> to me. What a way to get an invitation. I talked about it. I brought it up at other points. You just may not have been listening. We love you all. It was a, it was brief. It was. Thank you for brief. listening. We'll talk next week. (laughs) For Kale, I'm Jackson. We'll see you next Tuesday.